Well, Scott, I'm one of the deacons here at the refuge. I also serve in the band, uh, and in blue shirts. And uh, today I get the privilege of, of reading our scripture verse. So if you will, please stand for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> this is Ephesians 6, 13 and 14. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. You may be seated. Thank you. Amen. Thank you again, Ben, for uh, leading us so well. If you are new to Refuge, I know that you may have kind of gotten to that point and say, wait, that's just kind of two verses in the middle of a text somewhere that's kind of seems strange, but expository preaching is a big deal to us. We preach verse by verse through the uh, text, and so we've been preaching through Ephesians for some time now, and you've caught us here at the end, and so I hope that if... Uh, uh, if this intrigues you in some way, you'll go back and maybe listen to some of these other sermons that we posted online. It may make a lot more sense to you at that point, but I hope today will as well. Uh, so one of the things that uh, I used to go to uh, a Bellevue Baptist Church, that's where uh, whenever we moved to Memphis a long time ago, I ended up there. Adrian Rogers was the pastor, and I became a Christian there uh, when I was 30. And uh, one of the things, one of his most memorable sayings was, and he had a lot of them, uh, he, uh, and a lot of them may come to your mind as well as I'm saying that if you know Adrian, uh, he said, whenever you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to stop and see what the therefore is there for. And so I've kind of adopted that one myself and, uh, I'm using that as my own. I still try to give him credit whenever I remember it, but in a few more years, it'll just be all mine at that point. Uh, so I'll ask that question to you, uh, in this particular letter, what is the obvious question? Why do we need to take up or put on the whole armor of God? Let's look at that text again. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the, breast pl the breastplate of righteousness. Why do we need to take up or put on the whole armor of God? Why would anyone need armor? Yes, sir. Come on, brother. Stand up here and preach that. Yeah, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, right? We, we wrestle against the cosmic powers, uh, that's things that are seen and unseen. Uh, uh, we are in a battle. What he's saying is we're in a battle. We are in a war. And I know I've said that over the last two weeks, but I'm telling you, I can't emphasize that enough for us, Refuge Church, that as Christians, we are in a war and we are in a battle. I referenced this from last week's sermon. Look in verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the devices, uh, the trickeration of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I think you must have come up and looked at my notes or something uh, whenever you came up with that answer. Oh, wait, he looked in the Bible. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Paul says, therefore, because of this, take up the whole armor of God. Just write that down. Write that in your Bibles, underline it, circle it, whatever you do. I see some of you with your arms crossed and you're not doing anything, uh, but make a mental, I'm assuming you're making mental notes then if you're not doing that. 
uh, but to take up the whole armor of God. And he says to take up the whole armor of God because we are in a life and death conflict with an enemy that is set on your destruction. Okay? We are in a life and death battle with an enemy who is set on your destruction. Now, listen to me, Refuge. Satan does not like to follow the rules, except for the one that says, all is fair in love and war. All is fair in love and war. Do you know what that saying actually means? It means that if someone holds to this, that they usually do things that are considered unfair. Okay? They usually do things that are considered unfair. The devil, your adversary, your enemy doesn't care about your well-being. He'll use anything, any device, any scheme, anything within his power to try to destroy you, to destroy you personally, to try to destroy your marriage, to try to destroy your witness for Jesus, to try to destroy your children. He'll do anything that he can possibly do. He'll use any means that you allow him to use, anything that you allow to slip into your life to try to destroy you. You have an enemy. And unfortunately, we've been lulled to sleep here in, in good old 2022. We've been lulled to sleep and just kind of coast through this life as Americans, and we have it pretty easy, I would say. No matter what the thing is that we may be going through, we have it pretty easy and a pretty luxurious lifestyle. And whenever we live this way, too many times we get lax in being on alert. Amen? You know that's true. And I'm speaking as Paul was specifically to Christians, those of you who follow Jesus. And as a representative of Jesus Christ, you Christians are one of his main targets. You are one of Satan's primary targets. And I would say this, where's Paul McDade? Right here, raise your hand, Paul. Where is Blake Arnold? Where is he? Yeah, where is he? Okay, he was in the booth. And, and, and uh, Paul Dacus is on our, leading our student trip. They're elders in this church. I'm going to tell you, we four even more so. We four even more so because we have taken on this responsibility as under shepherds and to lead this flock. What a feather in, uh, in the Satan's cap, in our enemy's hat, to see a pastor fall. Happens all too often. I've seen it happen to men that I've had great respect for. I've seen it happen to men who had large ministries. I've seen it happen to men who have smaller ministries. When if we're just looking by size and number of people that they impact. Church, your pastors are men. We're not supermen. We're just men. We're men like you men are men. People just like you. Yet we've surrendered to this high call of eldership, this high calling of being an under-shepherd, to care, to care for the flock that God has given us. This church, we're not, we're not called to care for other churches. We're called to shepherd the flock that is among us. That would be you. That we're called to shepherd, to pastor. And we have put ourselves intentionally between the sheep and the enemy. That's directly in the line of attack. And refuge, you are in the line of attack as well. 
If you're a Christian, you're on the battleground. But listen, Paul likens this to a physical battle, okay? That's, that's, the, that's the imagery that he is using in this text when he's writing to the church at Ephesus. He likens this to a physical battle, but it is not. You and I don't throw haymakers and uppercuts and Judy chops and throw ninja stars and swipe the leg or anything at all like that in this battle that we're in. That, that's not the battle we fight. You may fight some of those, but that's not the fight that I'm talking about. This is a spiritual battle. It's a battle that goes unseen to the naked eye, to the human eye. This goes unseen many times. However, this is the devil's game plan. He does actually seek to draw us into a physical battle. Though it is a spiritual battle, he seeks to draw us into physical battles. Battles between one another. Conflict between one another. He draws us in, in battles into flesh and blood. He entices us to spew hatred toward one another. What a divisive and a destructive thing to see brothers and sisters spew hatred to one another under the cause and the name of Jesus. And it happens in the same church. It's happened here before. Where brothers and sisters spew hatred towards one another, say names about one another, call and bite back, uh, do a backbiting and gossip toward one another. What a destructive thing in the name of our enemy that th those kinds of things happen. He fools us into believing that we're enemies of one another, both inside the church and outside the church. Again, we've seen enough of that here at Refuge. Some of you that come from other churches, you've probably seen it in other churches that you've been a part of. One of the things that I wrote on social media this last week was, you can still be friends with people who leave your church. We are not in gangs. Okay? We are not in gangs. We don't have to jump people out whenever they leave refuge. You know, now... Literally this weekend, we've seen a monumental dividing occur in our country within the last couple of days. Roe versus Wade, the landmark uh, uh, abortion rights case that was back from 1972, uh, was overturned by the Supreme Court. The right to abort your baby for any reason is no longer a federally protected law in the United States. There'll, be still, there'll still be states that allow it. There are still states that you can actually go and get an abortion. Lots of states around us are putting a ban in on that. And church, regardless of whether you stand on this, I hope you stand with me because I'm going to try to stand in the scriptures. So I hope you stand with me and I hope that no matter what your longstanding view of that might have been, no matter what your politics are, no matter what you hold to politically, if you are a left-wing political leaning, or if you're right-wing political leaning, uh, the decision is a win for life. This decision is a win for the rights of unborn humans in the womb. It is a win. Now you listen to your pastor, though. In the aftermath of all this, please do not allow yourself to be a religious jerk. Okay? Please do not be a religious 
jerk and grandstand yourself about this. If you want to post some things on social media about how thankful you are that this has come around, by all means do that. We should celebrate the fact that the Lord has finally put an end to the uh, arbitrary killing of babies in the womb. But don't put on your Sunday swagger and strut around over something like this. This is a place to be have humility. This is a place to... Uh, 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 to offer care and compassion, because if we fall into that other camp that I'm talking about, then we fall into the same kind of schemes from our enemy that we're just talking about. And it destroys whenever we swagger around or we smart mouth people that we say, or we make fun of people because they, uh, they, this was overturned, then we, we do damage to the message of the gospel. Instead, this is how I would encourage us, Refuge. Again, I don't have any sway over, not many people at all. I've learned, I've, I've got sway over me. That's about it. But this is how I will encourage you as your pastor to, to handle this. Listen to people who might be outraged. Just listen. This is, this is I don't even doubt that people find themselves in very difficult situations and don't know what they're going to do, Okay. Just listen. Hear someone else's point of view. Give an actual hearing to somebody that you care enough to listen to somebody and what it is they have to say. And then lovingly respond with truth and care. Lovingly respond. It's not a time for vitriol, not a time to point your fingers and yell in someone's face. It's a time to love and care for some who are angry and hurting and some who are going to be lost outside the household of faith that don't understand why we would feel this way. The Apostle Paul, <coughs> the Apostle Paul instructs us to put on the whole armor of God so as not to fall prey to our enemy, especially in, when attacks come for what we believe. How timely this comes today. Now, let me tell you what putting on the whole armor of God is not. Putting on the whole armor of God is not putting on self-control, okay? Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, one of, part of the fruit of the Spirit. But putting on the armor of God is not self-control. I'm going to control what it is that I say. I'm going to do it myself. I will not do X. I'm just not going to do X. Uh, I, I will, I'm going to take some deep breaths, uh, and, and I'm going to just control the situation. Now, those aren't bad things to do whenever you get angry over a situation, but I'm, not, I'm telling you, that's not the armor that Paul is talking about. That's not the armor. It's not a matter of counting to 10 before you act or react. Again, not necessarily a bad situation. Count to 10. Some of you need to count to 20. I know you. You know me. <laughs> 25. <laughs> Let's go to triple. Triple digits. <laughs> go to another room. Because even that doesn't even uh, guarantee us the correct response just because we count. We can count, okay? Your positive reinforcements can only take you so far. I think I can. I think I can do the right thing. I think I can say the right thing. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. And doggone it, I'm not going to say the wrong thing this time. That may work for Stuart Smalley. Then this doesn't necessarily always work for us whenever we are in those kinds of situations. 
This is not a battle that any of us can enter into and win just simply by willing ourselves to do it. By pulling up our bootstraps and trying to do better. You and I need help from the helper. Who's our helper? Jesus. Who, who else? Who is our helper? Who did Jesus send to really be our helper? Holy Spirit, yes. He said, I'm going to go away. It's better that I go away and I'm going to send the who? Rubble, rubble, the Hamburglar. No, no, uh, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to come and help you. It's better that I go away because the Spirit would come and he would live in all of us as Christians. And so we need help from the helper. This This battle is spiritual and it must be waged in the spiritual realm. That's where these battles are won or lost. And our gracious king has given us spiritual weapons to use in these spiritual battles that you and I are engaged in, whether we know it or not. Look at this verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writes this, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Let me say that again. And here's what I'd like for you to do. You know that thing that you're into it with somebody about right now? You don't have to say yes. You didn't have to blink your eyes a bunch of times. You didn't even have to nod. You don't have to give your husband the business. But you know that thing that you're into it with someone this? Paul says, the Bible tells us, though we walk in the flesh, we're, we're all here in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. We're not battling with one another. That's all through the scriptures. He, he goes on to say, for the weapons of our warfare are not the flesh, of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy, strong, to destroy strongholds. <coughs> he says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion, raise against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to, uh, we take every thought captive over to Christ. We need to take those thoughts captive. Whenever the thoughts come into our heads about being in a fight or being angry with someone or in, a, or in a disagreement with someone, the scripture tells us, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and they were as jacked up as anybody. He said to take those thoughts captive, to not let them run wild and rampant to where we enter into something or we say something or we enter into a battle that we don't need to find ourselves in. But why? Because back to verse 10, uh, verse 3, what did he say? that we are not waging a war according to the flesh. That that battle, that argument, that disagreement, that butting heads with somebody is, is a manifesting itself in the flesh. Remember what I told you earlier, that's where our enemy wants us to play. That's the realm he wants us to play in, but that's not the battles that we're fighting. We are in spiritual battles, Christian. Those are spiritual battles that we fight. One of our, weapon, our weapons are out of this world. Paul says they are divine, they are from God. God gives us the ability to overcome those things in the spiritual battles so that they don't manifest themselves in physical battles. The truth is Jesus has already won the physical battle or the ultimate battle for us. He won the spiritual battle, which is the battle that we're fighting. Paul writes this thing to the Colossians as well. Look at Colossians chapter 2, verse 15 Uh, He says some of this. I'm going to want to uh, mark on this. Uh, He says, 
Uh, he, Jesus, did what? He disarmed the rulers and authorities, and he put them to open shame. Put them to open shame. How? By triumphing, triumphing over them in the cross. So he disarmed them. He basically took their guns away. He took their ammo away. He took the, the, their weapons of war away. And the, author, uh, the rulers, he disarmed those rulers and authorities and put them to open shame. He's already beat them. They're already a defeated foe by triumphing over them in the cross. By him uh, dying on the cross, covering our sin debt, and being raised from the dead, he's already won the war. This is not a battle that we're fighting that we're necessarily going to lose. Our king has won. Amen? So back to our text. Uh, Paul says this. In, um, he says, put on the whole armor of God. And notice there's nothing to cover our rear flank. Nothing to cover our backside. Nothing to cover the south side. Why? Yeah, we retreat. He doesn't tell us to run from the enemy. He doesn't tell us to run. He says, we're in a battle. We're in a battle facing our enemy. Look what it says. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Paul is encouraging the church to stand firm. Stand strong. Be strong in the Lord. Today, Christians, we've been cajoled to be pushed back and marginalized in our culture, pushed to the uh, edges to try to be quiet and to silence us in the culture. We've been told to basically back off, to live and let live, to keep your mouth shut, Christians. We've been told to back off from declaring the truths of the scriptures. We've been told to back off from saying that sin is sin. We've been told to back off from saying that homosexuality is a sin. Paul explicitly teaches this in the New Testament. He says, and those who practice this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's what I'm going to say just about that. Man, probably each of us know someone that is engaged in a homosexual lifestyle today. I would dare say, if not all of us, at least 80% of us in this room know somebody engaged in a homosexual lifestyle today. And what our culture has taught us is, is to just be quiet and to live and let live. How many of you have heard that before? Just leave people alone and let them do what they want to do. And the truth is, we live in America, and Americans have the right to live a way that they want to live. I have zero issues with people that, that have a right to live the way that they want to live. But you listen to me, church. If you love anybody that is in a, engaged in a homosexual lifestyle, if you don't tell them the truth of the gospel, you don't tell them that they are endangering themselves to end up in hell one day, then you don't love them very much. You just don't love them at all, if you're okay to wink and nod and send them to hell. We've been told to back off from talking about it. And unfortunately, the church has done a terrible job because we backed off. We may preach it to the people in our congregations, but this is typically not where it happens. What we should be preaching and teaching to one another and encouraging one another is to engage people that are engaged in some type of sinful behavior with love and care and compassion and truth. 
that means we love them. We've been told that to back off telling people that adultery is sin, to wink and nod at those people having extramarital affairs. You probably hear it around your office. You may hear it in your family. You may be somebody engaged in it right now. And just liking the fact that your friends are winking and nodding and knowing you've got a girlfriend, knowing you've got a boyfriend in another city, whatever that looks like, what a terrible thing for us to do to one another. What a ter- we don't love our friends if we allow that. We don't love our friends if we just go, hey, yeah, how's the boyfriend? What is wrong with us? We've been told that's the way we should act, and that's the way we should respond. The reality is we hate people if we allow that to continue to go on without addressing it specifically with the people we love and care about. How about this? We've been told to back off about the killing of another life as sin, specifically in the womb. That's what we're right in the middle of with this Roe v. Wade uh, decision and this uh, this, uh, overturning of it. Specifically inside the womb. We believe that, that life begins at conception. As Christians, that's where we land on it, that life begins at conception. And we've been, we've been told to be silent. We've been told to be silent about saying that sin is sin because it offends people whenever we say that. Some of you are probably offended by what I've said today. Imagine that being offended by the preaching of the gospel, by being offended by preaching of what comes out straight out of the scriptures. Anything I've told you today is straight out of the scriptures. You got issues with me? Got an issue? Get a tissue. This is straight from the scriptures. This, this is not Scott, although it is Scott's words because I believe the scriptures. I'm just telling you what's in the scriptures. We've been told off to back off from saying that Jesus is the only way for salvation, that there is no other way. The scriptures tell us that there is no other name given under heaven and earth whereby one must be saved. There's sin that needs to be repented for. Too many people don't want to offend somebody with the truth of the gospel. And whenever we live in that realm, I'm telling you, listen to your pastor, when we live in that world, whenever we're too afraid to offend somebody with the truth, then we're just okay with them dying in their sin and going to hell. That's what we're really saying. The Bible explicitly says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's hope and life found in Jesus alone. This kind of preaching, listen, it's not motivated by hate. It's motivated by love. We hate people if we don't tell them the truth. We love people whenever we tell them the truth in love. I don't think it's very loving if I go and yell this into some, I know I've yelled at y'all, sorry, I do love you, Uh, but but it's not loving to go and we're not going to argue someone into heaven, we're not going to yell someone into heaven, uh, but it is loving for us to go and say, this is what truth is and this is what error is, based off the word of God, That, that is our standard of truth. 
We preach so that people will not perish in their sins. We share the gospel so that people will not perish in their sins. We tell the truth to people so that they will not perish in their sins, but have everlasting life. Paul says, whenever we have uh, withstood the evil day, he says this, to stand firm. Stand firm. Christian, don't waver. Christian, don't faint. Christian, don't retreat. Christians, stand firm. Stand firm in the Lord and in the face of those who oppose his word. Stand firm in the face of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And to do this, we need the whole armor of God. That's why Paul wrote this, church, wrote this to the church at Ephesus and to us today. Look what he said uh, in the next verse, verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, what does Paul start this sentence with? Yeah, look, look, look up here. What does it say? What's the first word? Stand. Yeah, he says stand. So again, he's, he just said it in the previous verse, and again, he's saying stand. So he's saying, Christian, don't waver. A Christian, don't faint. Christian, don't retreat. And then he starts with truth. What is truth? Who asked that question? Uh, New Testament. Who asked that question? Remember that? Jesus was arrested. Who said that? Somebody said it. Pilate, yeah, Pilate said that. Whenever Jesus was arrested and he was taken before Pilate, uh, Jesus said some things to him and Pilate was like, uh, what is truth? People today ask the same question. What is truth? In today's culture, truth has become relative. There's my truth and there's your truth, right? There's your truth and your neighbor's truth. Few people want absolutes unless it's their absolutes. There are many even in the church world who want us to unite around this so-called truth where, honestly, they're just wanting a, a, a unity around a version of their truth. In the Old Testament, the prophet Amos said this, Can two walk tightly except they be agreed? Can two walk together? And says that's what he's saying. Can two walk together except they be agreed? I desire Christian unity. I, I, I want there to be unity within not only our church, clearly within our church, but in the greater body. I, I'd like for there to be unity, but honestly not at the expense of truth. We're not, going to, uh, we're not going to push truth to decide to be unified with another church if they don't stand on the truth of the Scriptures. Paul did not instruct the Ephesians, uh, nor us, to gird up our loins with unity. He, in, he instructed us to gird up our loins with what? Truth. Gird up our loins with truth. And the truth that we must stand on without hesitation is the truth of the gospel. Again, back to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. This is what he says. For the preaching of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So here's two juxtaposed positions in this verse in chapter 18. For those of us who are Christians that are in this room, for those of us who are Christians who are watching online right now, he says... 
uh, to those of us being saved, it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. And all God's people that believe that would say, Amen. Yeah, it is the power of God and the salvation. The first part of that verse says that it is folly to those who are perishing. And so whenever you share the gospel or you talk to someone about Jesus, to those who are outside the household of faith, who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who cannot see the beauty of the gospel, it is folly. It's a joke. It's dumb. It's fake. Fake news. That's what people who are outside the household of faith typically will think about the gospel. Paul says so. Don't be surprised when those of us, those who are not full of the Holy Spirit, who are not regenerated, who are not uh, full of the Spirit, who are not born again, think that what you're saying or what we're preaching today is foolishness. The scripture, Paul says, this is what it's going to be. For the preaching of the gospel is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Verse 20. Where is the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God... The world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who who believe. You see that? You've probably got people that you know that think you're an idiot for going to church. You've probably got people in your own family that think you're a moron for being here today. You may be sitting here listening eyeballing me right now that you got cajoled into coming with your husband or wife and you think, that guy don't know what he's talking about. This is the dumbest waste of time in my entire life. This, this verse is about you, bro. This is about you. God knows who you are too. God knows you and sees you and has described you thousands of years ago. I'll read the verse again just for your own entertainment. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, through what you're thinking that I'm preaching right now, to save those who believe. You think what I preach is dumb? It will save eternally some people. It has saved people in this group today and worldwide and will continue saving people despite whatever you think about it. Folly to some, is wisdom to others, and it brings salvation. (coughs) He goes on (coughs) in chapter 2 and says this, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are what? Folly to him. Again, he's saying it again. He's writing to the church at Corinth again. They They were whack jobs. Again, not unlike today. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them. Again, let's get out my little drawing pad here. They are not able to understand him because they are spiritual. They are because they are spiritually discerned. 
You can't figure this out in your own human intuition. The things that I preach about are spiritually discerned. It takes the Spirit of God to take the words of God and implant them in your heart and for you to believe them as truth. Listen, if you're a Christian here today, if you've literally been born again, I'm not talking about some religious experience. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about going to church or I'm not talking about your grandmama thinks you're a nice kid. I'm talking about if you are an actual born again follower of Jesus today, then the Spirit of God allowed you to discern the truth of the gospel and gave you faith to believe it. Okay? That's, that is Bible teaching. And if you're not, it's because it has not been spiritually discerned by you yet. And you are still in darkness and you are still in your sin. And our hope for you today is that you would open your eyes to the gospel, that the Spirit of God would move the scales from your eyes, and you would believe this today, that today might be your day of salvation. Today might go, if whether you've dis- where you have pushed this away for years, sir, where you have pushed this and taught about how dumb this is, ma'am, for your entire life, that today might be the day that the Spirit of God removes the scales from your eyes and grants you salvation. That's our hope. That's why we preach this every week. He goes on to say uh, in verse 15, the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one, verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? Look, look, he says, who can understand God? That may be what you think. Who can understand God? And look what he says at the end of that particular verse. He said, who can understand God? But... What? We have the mind of Christ. You know why I can understand the scriptures? Because I have the mind of Christ. Because the Spirit of God actually lives within me. If you're a Christian and you can understand what, what Paul is saying here and understand this makes sense to you, then you have the mind of Christ. If you're going, none of this ever makes sense to me, then brother, sister, I would say, and you call yourself a Christian, you might need to examine yourself and go, do I have the mind of Christ? Does the Spirit of God actually live within me? Am I still dead in my trespasses and sins and I don't understand the things of God because the Spirit of God does not live within me? It's very clear teaching from Paul. Now let's go back to our text. Verse 14. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Let's talk about this just a bit more. Our feelings do not determine truth, okay? Your feelings are not your authority. Say that with me. Our feelings are not my authority. Let's say it one more time. Our feelings are not my authority. We cannot say, I feel this is true. Your feelings are fickle. Say that with me because it's funny. My feelings are fickle. Say it three times. My feelings are fickle. My feelings are fickle. My feelings are fickle. You'll remember that. My experiences do not determine truth. If experiences is what determine truth, then what would make us any different from a Hindu or a Mormon or any other false cult that might have come along the way? What would make us any different from them if our feelings and our experiences determine truth? Nothing. I feel it, and my experience, this is the experience that I had, and if the experience is true, then it must be true then that would make us no different from anybody else. The traditions of the church do not determine truth. All my Catholic friends, I'm looking at you. 
lovingly. That does not determine truth. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, for this very thing, elevating their traditions, elevating their traditions above truth. Jesus had sharp rebukes for them. I don't think it would be any different in traditions and elevating traditions with the gospel today. The Word of God is what we stand on, the B-I-B-L-E. What's the next line? That's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the what? The B-I-B-L-E. Yes, we are going to find our truth from the Scriptures. Let us not waver or retreat from saying that the authority of the Word of God is what we stand on. You and I have no authority on my own. I have zero authority on my own. None. No authority. Specifically here or with you or anything at all, I have no authority on my own. But when I speak from God's word, listen, when I speak from God's word, I'm speaking with his authority. I'm speaking from his authority, and I am using his authority to encourage you to follow what his authority says. And without this authority, there's nothing but chaos and confusion. People will operate out of feelings. People will operate out of experiences. People will operate out of traditions. But Jesus calls us to operate out of truth. And this truth leads to righteousness. As Paul said in our text today, that we're called to put on the breastplate of righteousness. What This thing that covers our heart and our being, this breastplate of righteousness. Look what Paul said in Romans chapter 3, verse 22. Righteousness comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Our right standing with God, the ultimate protection from the fiery darts of our enemy, the sword that he attacks us with, it protects our heart, it protects our entire being, and all that comes from God through faith in Jesus Christ. And so that begs the question today, and with this I'm going to be closed, that begs the question today, have you put on the breastplate of righteousness? Now, this is, this is the, the gazillion dollar question that you've got to answer. Have I put on the breastplate of righteousness? Have I repented of my sins and believed the gospel? And, and again, I'm not talking about this religious exercise that you went through as a child. And, and here, here's, how you, here's how you determine if there's been an actual change in your life. If you've actually repented of your sins and faithfully trusted the, the gospel. Here, here's how you know. Because somewhere, somehow, something in your life has to be different. Okay? Like you can't be dead in your sins and living a life following the prince of the power of the air, following, you know, as Paul talks about in the beginning of Ephesians chapter 2, that that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. You can't be that way, which is all of us were that way at one time, and then the Spirit of God live within us and change us and make us alive and still keep living this way. You can't. If there's been no change in your life. No change in your life. Other than you started going to church and you give little, you know, you throw some dollars in the, in the offering plate when it comes by and you know the pastor's name. That's all there is. That's not what I'm talking about. That's religious exercises. I'm talking about 
heart changes, that gives us a desire for the things of God, a desire to know him, a desire to be in a relationship with him, a desire to know him intimately, a desire to put sin to death, a desire to live to righteousness. That's what I'm talking about. If that's not a part of your life, then brother, sister, I would say you need to examine yourself like right now and go, am I a part of the household of faith? Has the Spirit of God actually, is the Spirit of God actually indwelling me? And if the Spirit of God is not indwelling you, today is my encouragement to you today to to, to turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus because you're fighting a losing battle. You may be trying harder. You may be trying to lone wolf it. But you're outside the household of faith if there's nothing different about you. The Spirit of God changes us and continues to change us and continues to change us and mold us and shape us and conform us to the image of Jesus. Christian or non-Christian, I would say, entering into a spiritual battle, spiritually naked, with no spiritual armor, without the breastplate of righteousness, is deadly. But today, you can put on the armor of Christ. He will help you to stand. Jesus will cover your heart with righteousness. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. I urge you to repent. Believe the gospel today. Let me pray for us.